This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm well. How are you? I am really, really good. It is a beautiful, beautiful day today. Oh, there you are. So we're in different locations as usual, and it's crystal blue sky with sparkly frost actually just melting now on the ground, but uh, not a cloud to be seen. No, and we didn't really have a whole lot of frost here. I mean, we stayed in Toronto last night, uh, but mm-hmm. we have the same crystal blue skies, and it is a beautiful morning. It was a little bit too cold for my wife. She still put her <laughs> hands in her pockets. We had about a 15-minute walk to the studio here, but I, it was just, it's a nice, brisk morning. Yeah. And, well, and- that transitioning, pulling those sweaters out from under the bed and finding the long underwear, like, yeah. you know, the winter coat. Where did I leave it? Now, how, so. how does this fare? What's happening in the with the garden right now? Like, what is, what is it doing uh, when it feels this temperature? Well, it's a good thing because it's if we like that when it gets cool and stays cool. I was a little concerned. It was so mild this past week. I was seeing some moths fluttering around. I thought, oh, gosh, if insects are waking up, I sure don't want plants waking up when it was that mild. So I was, you know, I walked around. Part of what we do at this time of year is we inspect Walk your garden, enjoy it. Look for any issues that are unexpected. Um, Make sure that you've done the important things like put your hoses away. Uh, I just put mine away just because the temperatures are getting so cold. Mm -hmm. It's a bit early for me. Usually I try to leave out the hoses till end of November, but it's not like I have any water to water my plants with anyway. So I put those away. Yeah, we're we're getting into the wrapping the evergreens at my place because we have a lot of wind and a lot of sun. So we protect the winter the evergreens over the winter by um, shielding them from all that sun and wind i also wrap i use white wrap on the trunks of my trees Mm -hmm. again just because the incredible sun that we get uh, blasting onto the trees gotcha okay now i know you have a uh, at least one announcement to make, but I would like mm, to give out the and phone homework. numbers. Yeah, and some homework as well. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to give out yeah. the phone numbers and encourage people to give us a call. Uh, if you live in Toronto, the number to use is 416 Or if you live anywhere outside Toronto, within the province of Ontario, this is a toll-free number, one 740 4740. And please let Ashy know if you're a first time caller, and then I will give you your garden wings. And of course, Lovely. we want you to call off and call early. And we really appreciate, I guess that's the best way, we really appreciate, as do other callers, if it's one question per call, please, because then it gives more people a chance. Okay? So there you go. And you, what, what, what's on your agenda? What's your announcement that you got there, Charlie? Oh, I guess let, let me just fit in quickly that tomorrow the Greater yeah. Toronto Bulb Society will be meeting at the Toronto Botanical Gardens. And as we know, that's Leslie and Lawrence in Toronto. They're up on the second floor in TBG. It's a it's a, a forum. It's a Q's and A's 
uh, regarding bulb growing. So anything you've ever wanted to know about growing any kind of bulbs whatsoever, stop in, say hello to some of the members. Very friendly group, that Greater Toronto Bulb Society. They're always happy to have visitors. Okay, great. So, Charlie, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll get right to that uh, that homework that you've got for mm. us, okay? Okay, we'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed, we are back here on The Garden Show. And uh, Charlie, I know that you were given a little bit of homework last week on the show. Is that right? I was. You know, it's it's one of those things where I like to believe that I know absolutely everything, you know, the, the goddess of the garden and all that stuff. But every now and then somebody asks me a question and I'm not quite sure what the answer is. And yet when I thought about it later, I thought, you know what, I do know what the answer is. Uh, it was Kenny who phoned early in the show last week. Yep. He was calling us from Scarborough. He said that all his tomatoes and his sweet peppers this year were black and foul smelling, um, not edible, and very, very disappointed and frustrated by the whole thing. And then, of course, I realized exactly what was going on with the tomatoes, particularly. There's something called blossom end rot. It's where the blossom end or the bottom, it starts at the bottom of all your tomatoes if you have this issue. It's a syndrome, blossom end rot. And it's literally where the, the tomato fruit starts to rot from the bottom. Why does that happen? Well, we used to say it was calcium, insufficient calcium in the soil. So make sure that you're fertilizing with a tomato-based fertilizer that will have added calcium. You can also do soil tests to clarify what's your calcium availability. You can also use eggshells crushed up that will slowly release calcium into the soil wherever you plant your tomatoes. But the, the, the main reason we realize that blossom end rot happens is what inconsistent water. When tomatoes particularly get feast or famine in terms of irrigation, we see issues. That's why it's so important that consistent watering is absolutely the way to do things. Now, you can't control the rain, I get it. So if it's raining every day, then you're getting an awful lot of water on your tomatoes. But you still have to maintain that watering. So you can't just sort of shut down the hose because it watered last week. The main thing is you've got to keep those tomatoes consistently moist in order to avoid the blossom end rot. Well, when it comes to the peppers, um, there is a, such a thing as a mold that can grow actually literally on the flower, the pepper flower. Then the flower gets fertilized. And believe it or not, the, the pepper grows, o like, grows over that, that mold on, all mm -hmm. around it. And before you know it, you've got a perfectly nice looking pepper that you cut into and it's got a disease on the inside. And that's something that starts way back at the beginning of the growing season. So here's how you avoid that. Lots of sun, never plant plants like peppers in anything other than full sun, and uh, good air circulation. Make sure you're not jamming your plants all close together. Make sure there's lots of good air between and around, and full day of sun. That's minimum six hours a day of sun on all your peppers and tomatoes in order to be successful. Okay, Kenny, I hope that answers your question. There you go. My goodness. Detective, not just the goddess of the garden, <laughs> the detective of the garden as well. Well, and you know, and to your credit, it's it's tricky when people are, are calling and giving you a, a verbal account 
account of what they've experienced over a handful of weeks or months, and you have to dissect all this and try to figure out what's going on. So kudos to you. Well, well, thank you. But it's, sometimes it's the synapses in the brain, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. they just go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And then other times it's like, hmm, I'm not sure. And then 20 minutes later, oh, of course, of course I know what that is. <laughs> Put on your special hat and your magnifying glass, and there you go. Yeah, blue, like <laughs> blues clues, t- yeah. <laughs> need a tinfoil hat is what I need. <laughs> okay, let's go to our first caller. We have uh, Tony on the line who is calling from Sutton, Ontario. Uh, welcome to the Garden Show, Tony. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, I've got spike plants that I've had for four years, and I put them away in, in the wintertime. I put them in, in my sister's garage right up against the house, so they kind of stay semi-warm and dark. But if I were to leave them, I've got a trailer up in Cannington. If I were to leave them in my trailer, and i got a lot of windows uh, in mm-hmm. the daytime, it's sunny, uh, and the frost won't get to them, would the freezing get to them? There's spike plants. That was one that's really in there. Yeah, so they're, sure they're a form of... Uh, what my dad's secret was, and it was miracle Grow, And I've been putting that on. They look phenomenal this, uh, all summer. Uh, I bet. W- yeah, they're Dracaena is what they are. We call them spikes, but they're Dracaena. So, but tell me, the trailer in Cannington, do you keep some level of heat on in that trailer so that the water doesn't freeze, or do you shut the whole thing down? Hello. Hey there, Tony. Tony? Yeah, I don't think Tony heard me. No. Uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, so, Tony, if can, if you can hear me, I suggest you hang up the phone. And my only question would be, well, if you be, can you answer this question if you can hear me? Is there any heat in that trailer in Cannington, or is it completely frozen and shut down? Uh, yeah, there's no heat in there, uh, except for when the sun heats up. I got a lot of windows on my, it's a big trailer, it's a 30, 36 footer, and, uh, but I got a lot of windows where I leave them. And when the sun, I've gone in there in the wintertime and the daytime, it's pretty toasty. So maybe mm-hmm. in the evening when it goes below zero, it'll, it'll freeze a bit, but then the mm-hmm. daytime thaws them out. Is that going to hurt? Do you think that, uh, you know? It, it might, it might, if it gets really cold, the day is not the problem, it's the nighttime. Sun goes yeah. down, and you're right, if it's only, you know, a couple of degrees below zero uh, outside at night, then it's reasonably okay inside. But if we get like 20, 25 below zero, they will freeze and die. Okay, so, because uh, I was worried about, I thought maybe the wind chill might, the wind blowing might kill them, or even the frost, uh, and they're, they're protected in there, there's no wind, and mm-hmm. and uh, I had a little pine tree outside last year, and I forgot it, uh, it was in a, it was in a, just a container, and in, in dirt, and it didn't die over the winter outside, in the mm-hmm. snow, and everything was on top of it. But I guess they're a different kind of animal. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, the pine tree is obviously was good. It was outside. And it's great it didn't die, but it's partially because you probably had good snow all around it all winter. The spike plant, or Dracaena, is a tropical plant, and it is not frost-hardy. So you've got to keep it frost-free. Otherwise, it, it's fine. Just it's the main thing is keep it frost-free. It can be cool. It can be two, three, four degrees, but it's still got to be above zero. All right. Hope that helps. Thanks for calling. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the call there, Tony. Yeah. Thanks. Good luck with that. Okay. I'm going to give out the numbers one more time before we go to our next break. Uh, Give us a call, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. We will be right back on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. 
This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, it is a beautiful Saturday morning in the province of Ontario, and we are back here on The Garden Show. And, Charlie, we are now going to Mississauga, and we have Teresa on the line. Welcome to The Garden Show, Teresa. Hi, good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. Morning. Morning. How are the skies in Mississauga? Absolutely beautiful. Love it, love it, love it. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I, I was given as a gift um, native wildflower seed bombs. Now, it says to plant before the ground freezes, but don't bury them just on top of the ground. Mm-hmm. Put them on top of the ground. Yeah. Okay. So just to be clear, so a seed bombs, these are like B-O-M-B-S, B-O-M-B-S right? And these are balls, like uh, yeah. small little round balls. Like- yeah, and you're actually, it's quite a thing. Uh, it, it, they're usually handmade. I don't know if there's any that are made in factories. They're little, um, it's a collection of soil, moisture, and seeds all packed in a little ball and, and held together with with whatever sort of sticky clay to hold them together. And the idea is that you, guerrilla gardeners, which you could now call yourself once you get into seed bombing, will walk particularly urban neighborhoods where there's waste spaces and and empty parking, like just empty weed-filled lots, and whip these seed bombs into these empty waste spaces and do it now. And the idea is that the seeds sit there all winter, and then they'll grow in the spring, and they'll beautify what was a very, very ugly place. So up to you where you want to toss your bombs, but now is the time to do it. Every year, or is it a one-time uh, thing? It depends what kind of seeds are in the bombs. Um, usually, it's a mix of annual flowers and perennial flowers, uh, uh-huh. and usually you'll try and put your bombs into areas where at least there's a half-day sun. So at least two, three, four hours of sun in order to have your best success. Yeah, yeah. Now, how do I avoid the squirrels from stealing them from me? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the million dollar well, question. Yeah, just do it when they're not looking. I don't think they, <laughs> they do grab some seeds, but not really. They're not huge fans. They'd much rather throw a few nuts out at the same time if you can, or some corn, you know, the old, uh, they love their corn. And um, they're not huge seed eaters. Uh, it's the birds that are more likely to take the seeds than the squirrels. Oh, oh dear. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, okay, <laughs> good luck with that. On Sounds top like of fun. the ground and not covered with soil at all. Just let them sit there. That's right. Uh, okay. Just, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Try to put them in a spot where it's pleasure to listen to you guys every Saturday. Great. Well, thank you very much, Teresa. Thanks for the call, and good luck with your bombs. And, uh, you know, you bring up a good point. I've, we've heard, I've heard this before, that uh, perhaps one of the best ways to get the squirrels to keep away from your other things is to put out feeding for the squirrels. And we have a guest coming in studio next week who would be the ideal one to ask this question to. Isn't that right, Charlie? That's right. Paul Oliver is coming back to join us next yep. next Saturday on the show. And Paul is a great guest. I mean, he's got... 
tons of phenomenal information yep. about feeding wild birds and supporting the wild bird population. Um, he He's a real specialist. So hold any good questions for birds for next week when Paul's with us. But he also has fun, really fun promotions and uh, is, uh, you know, just shares all kinds of great information. Like, for example, I'm going to ask him about a bird bath heater that I have now. I've never had a bird bath heater so I can have open water for the birds all winter. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what do I do when the bird bath's full of bird poop and it's January? Right. You well, know, like, I, you I got can't your work wash cut out it. for you. you can, you'll be out there with a your blowtorch and <laughs> melts. Well, no, because it's. No, no, it's liquid. The water's liquid, but the problem is it's a concrete. Anyway, it's, yeah, I just I'm not going to start well, tip like washing yeah. it. I you can't. know, you'll need you'll need to get one of those happen. one of those turkey basters. You just have to suck it out a little bit at a time and squirt it over. The Great. Seat. Oh, there you go. Thanks. So now I don't need to ask Paul at all. I, got go. it from you. I can just see you because I, I, I know how far can... that is out in the backyard. I can just see you with a long extension. I'm going to get you a long extension cord. You can take your shop back out to the. Yeah, exactly. I, well, I'll just cancel Paul. I got you. I got you to cover me up. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I love it. Okay, let's go Thanks, to our next. Pete. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you my bill. Uh, we Our next caller, we're going to Etobicoke. We've got Barbara on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show. Barbara? Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Call- Sorry? We said good morning. Oh, <laughs> I'm calling about emerald cedars. Last year, I planted 10 of them all in a row. They look really great. Five died, and I'm reluctant to replace them. Well, maybe cheap, but uh, I'm re- I don't know if it was me or was it them. I need hmm. some help. What time of year did you plant them? Uh, it was about May. Oh, it was that early in the season, was it? So, mm-hmm. not like, not May 2023, but May 2022, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so just so you know, it's not your fault. It, oh. It's very oh. common. <laughs> Usually, I'm surprised, well, you lost about half, you said. I, I half, yes. find it's about a... 40% death with emerald cedars. Oh. Why? It's not your fault. Because those cedars were raised on the west coast of the United States. They oh. are super cool California or Oregon cedars. They are raised in vast quantities and are shipped on trailers to Ontario in vast quantities and sold fairly inexpensively. So people mm. love them and plant them. Right. However, do do they ever learn to live in Ontario? Well, some do and some don't. Uh-huh. So your you, your biggest best option is pull out the dead ones next spring, replace out, with some fresh already. ones. Yep. Okay, no, okay, that's so, yep. So, well, did you hear what I said? I you said take them out, and then I said I've taken them out, and that's as far as I got. Okay, so uh, replace them with some fresh. New ones next spring. Mm-hmm. Personally, I wouldn't. Are they in a hedge? Are they planted as a hedge? Um, sort of. They're against a fence that's open on both sides, so they're they're sort of exposed. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is because <clears throat> you'll always have better success with native cedars, native to Ontario. So uh-huh. there's white cedar and there's black cedar. And Mm -hmm. then there's emerald cedar, which is not native to Ontario. If you really want to have success when you're replacing, you might want to replace with a native cedar or at least a cedar that was grown in Ontario. And it'll say right on the tag, grown in Ontario, rather than grown in the U.S. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
So, okay, okay. Hey, don't okay. blame yourself. Thank you. Yep. It wasn't me. It was them. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Yep. yep. Barbara can go into her day with a clear conscience and take a deep breath and go, oh, it wasn't my fault. So, Well, yeah, so often people do uh, beat themselves up, but that emerald cedars are a classic. You just see them right, every yeah. spring. They're like copper colored, mm-hmm. like, you know, green copper, green copper, green copper. It's like, oh, yeah, those are those Home oh. Depot cedars again. Really? And, uh, you know, and again, the average person wouldn't wouldn't have an, an idea of where they're grown. But that makes complete sense that it's you're, they're put, you're putting them into a climate that they're not used to. Yeah, and like I said, they're not even native to here. They're originally from right. Asia. Like they're just not. They, but people love them. They call them yeah. emerald cedars because they're bright, bright green. They're mm-hmm. not sort of our our Ontario grayish, greenish, blackish. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a very different look, and people just love the brightness, like the Kelly green. So they fall in love and they spend a lot of money, but. The success rate is not that high. Gotcha. Okay, numbers again, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. Uh, we're going to, uh, right here in Toronto, we're gonna, we've got Elizabeth on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Elizabeth. Good morning, both of you. Good morning. And I have a problem with garlic. I planted my garlic bulbs, um, music garlic, which is organic, I grow it all the time, in my garden mm-hmm. on mid-October. I grew one, two, well, one time I grew one patch, and a week later I grew another patch. The one I grew in the later October has come up um, hmm. with green, green leaves, and the one I planted earlier is still down in the ground. I wonder what do I do with the ones that have emerged, and should I dig down to the ones that haven't come up to see if I, by chance, planted them upside down? Oh, okay, so good questions. First of all, do not dig up the first patch. And even if you did plant them upside down, they will still find their way up. Um, Plants... Yeah, plants are amazing. They, it's always like, how do they do that? How do they know that the stems go up and the roots go down? And how do they know which way is which? But they do. It's called geotropism. So uh, roots go down, stems go up. So don't worry. Don't dig them up. Leave the first planting alone. The second planting, um, it's interesting that it's come up. I wonder, did you maybe not plant them quite as deep as the first planting? No. Okay. No, I planted them, uh, right. them the same way, um, mm-hmm. in the same plot, but two different ends. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe there's just a little more warmth in the soil or more sun where you planted the second planting. But nevertheless, don't worry. It's it's really just due because of the warm weather we've had. Mild temperatures, soil is warm. The the um, garlic has responded to that. So, But don't be overly concerned. Leave the, it alone. If you can gather some leaves in your, yeah. you know, off your property or your neighborhood. Don't worry. Um, Use the lawnmower to chew them up. So put a bag on your lawnmower, suck all those leaves into the bag, and then now you've got some nice small, almost leaf mulch. And then lay those leaves on top of the garlic that you're seeing. If you can't do leaves, then even get a straw, like a bale of straw. Just lay that over those green tips that are coming up and leave it like that for the winter. Next spring. A pet, pardon? Were you saying, Elizabeth, that they're actually up quite high? Yeah, about, about uh, four or five inches, some of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. They, they'll go back to sleep. I mean, those stems are likely to, to be frosted off, but the garlic is likely to survive nevertheless. Should I put on a load of, I have some topsoil. Should I just put that on top and then the leaves? You could, but be prepared to pull back whatever you put on in the spring, okay. mm-hmm. right? So that you get back to your regular level in your garden, oh. just like we do with roses, right? We hill up our roses to insulate them over the winter or to keep them from extreme weather. So you can certainly use soil in that same way with your, your bulbs, but just be prepared to pull that soil back in the spring. Perfect. Okay. Okay, thank you. One thank- less worry. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank, thank you, you, Elizabeth. Bye. Uh, speaking of things that are popping up, uh, Charlie, how's your amaryllis doing? <laughs> well, it's sitting beside me. It's yeah. cracking. The flower is starting to crack open. Is it? I do have to turn it often because, uh-huh. it, you know, amaryllis, eh? They yeah. grow so fast that it just goes right to the window. Like, I almost have to turn it twice a day just to try and keep the, the stem straight. Gotcha. Wow. Well, I, you know what? I have not pulled mine out from the basement yet, so I have to go down and check it out. But uh, I have I've forgotten all about it, actually, so I'll have to go. <laughs> I've got it in a far corner that I don't go into very often, so I better go down and check yeah. it out. Well, uh, I was going to say, don't just pull it out on principle. Pull it out when it starts to grow right. a flower stem. Gotcha. I and you'll know, you'll know that flower um, uh, is very clear, that flower bud coming yep. up. Sometimes the, the amaryllis will just send up leaves and there's nothing you can do, but, yeah. uh, but try and leave them until you get flowers. Okie dokie. Uh, so uh, I, we have Kenny on the line, who is, uh, you know, the, the, the fellow who oh. called in last week about the peppers and the tomatoes. So welcome back mm-hmm. to the Garden Show, Kenny. Thank you. Hey, so did, uh, was uh, Charlie able to answer your, address your question there this morning when she, she did the update? I don't. I haven't talked to her today, so I don't know whether she has an answer for it or not. Oh, yes, she. Well, she answered it right off the top of the show, Kenny. We talked about four minutes about it, actually. Oh, I didn't realize I missed it. Yeah, we. Uh... Oh, you know what, Kenny? Just in a nutshell, if you wanted to uh, check this out, two ways you can listen. One is you obviously the show is podcast, so this show you can listen to in the future on your computer uh, starting on Wednesday, usually. It's just a matter of going to am740.ca, uh, podcasts, The Garden Show, and then you can listen to my my dialogue that I started the show with. But bottom line is, I believe your tomatoes had something called Blossom and Rot, which you're welcome to Google or research in a book, Blossom and Rot. And your peppers likely ended up with some mold on the flowers or just pro, you know, before they got fertilized. So uh, the bottom line was lots of sun, lots of air circulation in order to maintain the healthiest possible crop. All right? Oh, okay, that sounds good. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Sure. Yeah. What brand of tomatoes do you grow? Mm. I grow a few different kinds, but my favorite, the last couple of years, my favorites, one is called Primo Red, so P-R-I-M-O R-E-D, and I get it from Stokes Seeds, that seed, and it is an amazing tomato. Even, like, as an example, they're, they're a determinate plant, so they don't get too big. They only get, you know, three feet tall, four feet tall at the most. I get probably 100 tomatoes on each plant. And this year, when the frost was coming, we took probably 40 tomatoes, 
pure green tomatoes, wrapped them up individually in newspapers, stuck them in paper bags, and here we are still just eating green tomatoes. They're just coming out of the out of the newspaper, beautiful and red, sweet, fresh, wonderful, affordable tomatoes. So I love those. I also love some of the really sweet, small tomatoes. One my daughter introduced me to is called Sweetie. So S-W-E-E-T-I-E. Sweetie is a is a cherry tomato that is sugar. It's just like a little burst of sugar in your mouth. But it's a huge, it's a big plant. You got to give it lots of room. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I had a, one's called Fantastic a few years ago. I've never seen them since. And they were fantastic. Mm. Oh, nice. So you know who's a really good source for excellent tomato varieties is uh, Emma... Oh, gosh, I always forget their last name. Biggs, E-M-M-A-Emma, Biggs, B-I-G-G-S. She is a young woman who's been growing hundreds of varieties of tomatoes every year and has a great website. She does a really nice job analyzing each of the tomatoes she grows and sells the seeds. So check out her website, Emma Biggs. I'm sure it's .ca or .com, and uh, see if she might have fantastic tomatoes. Okay. Okay. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for again for the call there, Kenny. And thank good luck you. with your tomatoes yeah. next year. Yeah, okay, for sure. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, Charlie, we have to uh, we have to go to a quick break, but we will be right back mm-hmm. with much more on the garden show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is the garden show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, welcome back to The Garden Show. Uh, Charlie, uh, Just uh, we, you got a, an email this week I just want to address uh, from Bev in Mississauga who asked what type of soil is best for a container vegetable garden outside and for African violets inside. So I guess it's a, it's a, it's a soil question. Right, yeah, and this was actually interesting how this was sent. This was actually sent, I think, as a text okay. to my email address. Yep. But anyway, uh, so I'm not answering this other than on the radio. So I hope I was listening. So container vegetable gardens outside, I guess it depends how big the container is. If it's a pot, just a regular pot, uh, 10 inches or smaller, then you will use a good quality container mix. And it'll say right on the bag, you know, for growing vegetables in containers, that's what you'll use in pots that are 10 inches Uh, in diameter or smaller. If you're growing in a larger container, so you've got raised garden or you've built some custom containers that are boxes that are huge, then you're going to want to mix that same beautiful quality uh, vegetable quality, like I say, vegetable um, potting, potting mix with some triple mix. Again, a good quality triple mix. You're going to mix it 50-50 in a lar- any container that's larger than 10 inches uh, or 37D. Bottom line is you need the, the drainage that the, the potting mix will give you, but you need the, um, the maintenance of the moisture that the triple mix will give you when you get into the really big containers like that. Plus, the, the bagged Potting mix is very, very expensive. So to use that straight in a large garden would be extremely expensive. So you, you'll stick more with, um, like I say, a mix. So that's how you do vegetables. And, of course, African violets. There is African violet soil out there. Little bags of it. You can pick it up at any garden center. Uh, if you're transplanting African violets, I would recommend that soil. It is specially designed with a very distinctive pH that the African violets love. 
a regular potting mix is probably fine too, but if you can get the African violet soil, I would use it. Okay, okay. Right. So that's for Bev in Mississauga. And uh, mm. now we're going to go to Midland. We have Joanne on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Joanne. Hello. Um, uh, good morning to both of you. Good morning. I Mo- have a morning. tree. Good morning. I have a lemon tree that we've had for about four years, and we put it outside in the summertime, and we do get lemons on it on a regular basis. But since we brought it into the house this year, or even when it was outside, it was losing its leaves, and mm-hmm. uh, it's lost most of its leaves. It's got two lemons on it, and mm-hmm. I went to prune it just to see, um, and all of the uh, branches seem are green, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. Are leaves going to come back? Probably. So you said you've had it for three or four years. Has it been in the same pot the whole time? Yes. So have you, you've never um, transplanted it or given it a bigger pot? Like, I'm just wondering if partly what's going on oh. there is that it is pot bound. So there's a, it's a pot oh. full of roots and not a lot of soil. Right. And as a result, it's um, struggling to maintain its leaves. What I would oh. do is enjoy the lemons that are there. Do the same winter care you've done in the past. So lots of sun, high humidity. Uh, it, you, if it's really lost most of its leaves, you probably want to give it a bit of a trim back the tips, Can so I, that it will. Like cut off the green part too. It depends how far. I mean, a tip pruning is only an inch off of each branch, so that might oh, include okay. some green tips. But I would do that okay. anyway. Okay. Okay. And, and then in the spring. I would, when you're taking it outside or before you take it outside, I'd get it out of the pot and take a look. You may have to do some pruning to the roots because they're quite vigorous plants, lemons and oranges, all the citrus. When they're happy, they have a lot of roots. So you might have to prune the roots back and freshen the soil. So it might go into a bigger pot or into the same pot, but either way, you've got to shrink the roots. All right. Oh, I see. So what size of pot? It's in about an eight inch pot now. Mm. Right. So you could go 10 inch or 12 inch without any difficulty whatsoever. Uh, Remember, a bigger pot means a bigger plant. (laughs) So make sure you've got room for a bigger plant in your house for next winter. How tall do they get? The lemon trees. Depends how well you look after them. I mean, in the natural world, lemon trees will get, you know, 10, 12 feet tall. So in your house, they can get six, seven, eight feet tall if you give them a big enough plant and a pot and a big enough space to grow in. Of course, they like lots of sun and high humidity. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Joanne. Thank you for the call. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks for calling. I guess if you uh, if you get yourself one of those trees and it doesn't grow, you've got yourself a lemon. <laughs> so <does me. laughs> but you know what? I, and I was in a store the other day, and I thought, that'd be kind of fun, eh, yeah. having an orange tree? Because yeah. there they were, right? They're for sale. They got oranges on them as I'm just looking at them. That'd be kind of fun, an orange tree, a lemon tree. And then, of course reality kicks in it's like charlie you don't have a southern facing Uh, solarium this is not going to work right i just don't have that kind of light in the winter in my house and they need bright you need a southern facing solarium or or big you know um patio doors west or south and i don't have that it's very interesting how we as human beings we are so um 
drawn to wanting, mm-hmm. we want to grow things that are not indigenous to our area. We want to bring in things. We talked about those emerald uh, spruces earlier. You know, we want to bring in all these things. We do orchids. We do all these things that are not, you know, from here. And I, and I guess, you know, perhaps people do the same in other countries. They bring in things that are indigenous to here and they, they want to grow them where they are. I'm not so sure, but maybe, you know, you're right. Uh, like, who's going to bring goldenrod in for the winter, right? It's just yeah. not something we get that excited about. And yet, honestly, the real story is is that the Br- the British took our goldenrod back to Britain, fancied it up a bit by um, selecting and, and doing some manipulation, yeah. not GMO manipulation, but some selection, some G- um, breeding selection mm-hmm. for bigger flowers uh, patented what they had done, and now they sell it back to us. So, wow. you know, that's, we're, that, we're that silly. Right? <laughs> we're that silly. Okay, we are going to take our next break. We uh, will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to The Garden Show. Uh, Charlie, let's go to our next caller. We have Maureen on the line. She's calling from North York. Welcome to The Garden Show, Maureen. Oh, good morning. Um, good morning. morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. Morning. I have a question. It's kind of a, it's kind of a strange question. But anyway, I have a yellow lemon-scented knockout rose. Right now, there is one rose blooming, and there are six buds. If I mm-hmm. cut that branch, will it and put it inside? Uh, will the roses bloom, and will, and will I damage my rose? Because I know you're not supposed to cut roses right now because it's so cold. Mm-hmm. It's be cold, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, Maureen, no, you will not damage a rose. You can cut roses in the fall. Uh, many people do, particularly if the roses are very tall and are going to get whipped around in the wind and cause problems uh, banging into visitors uh, or or each other. Um, I used to grow roses along the side of my garage back in Richmond Hill, and I always had to cut them back before Halloween because they would get so big and all the kids in their Halloween costumes would get hung up on the roses <laughs> trying, to get, trying to get to my front door. They would get all, you know, tangled up in the prickles. So, yes, you can cut them back in the fall. But um, the budded ones, the buds may or may not open. Uh, it really depends yeah it depends on the rose itself it probably won't open but it might and they might open inside and you know i've had roses you know pop blooms open at christmas time outside when it's a really mild mild fall so you just never know um how the plant's going to respond to the environment around it but yeah you know it could bloom outside it could bloom inside but don't hesitate to do some cutting back if you wish to Okay, well, I, I hope. Well, I'll maybe leave it a couple of more days. There's such a it's such a pretty rose that I, you know, I thought, oh, I'd like and have roses at this time blooming. It's so amazing, you know. <laughs> I know exactly. In a day like today, with all this sun, you never know. It could the buds could start to break open. It's not really super warm, but they, you know, they, in the sun it might be. So they might just continue to to grow right in front of you. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks Thanks for the call, Marie. Thanks for calling. And yeah, Charlie, there's nothing worse than going outside on November 1st and finding trick-or-treaters from the night before stuck in your rose bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good visual, eh? <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor kids are all tangled up. 
Uh. Well, I had quite a few roses because I worked at White Rose right. Nursery in those yeah, days. Yeah. <laughs> there was another time when my son was out wrestling with one of his friends. They were, you know, doing the usual yeah, yeah. six-year-old boy thing where you're tumbling around like puppies. And they ended up in the roses <laughs> and they're lying there and they're screaming, help, help. And I'm like, yeah, you're on your own. <laughs> like, I'm not, you, I'm not getting you out of there. You figure out, figure you hold in there, you yeah. get, you roll out. <laughs> That's funny. And he's never, never, he's never survived. He's never been the same after that. <laughs> no, you know, no, as a matter of fact, he started playing uh, basketball after that. Yeah. I think he started shooting the basketballs at the Roses. At the Roses, purpose. yeah. Revenge, <laughs> indeed. Exactly. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We have John calling from Mississauga. Welcome to the Garden Show, John. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. Good morning. Charlie, morning. I heard uh, people talking about tomatoes. I'll tell you, this year mine was fantastic crop. My missus, she made 38 jars. Out Oof. of 30 plants. Wow. Yeah, nice. it, it's true. Um, I'm very proud of her sometimes. Yes. <laughs> that aside, Charlie, I'm, um, uh, as you know, I've been busy, fruit trees and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. I had a lot of very, very small apples that I put a trench in the, in the, in the garden, maybe eight, 8 inches, 10 inches deep, and I mm-hmm. put... Um, I put some apples there and maybe grass and some leaves. What do you think about mm-hmm. that idea? Is it is it okay or? How far away from the trees are you? Oh, no, no, no. The, the, the garden is um, no, no, it's very far from the trees. Oh, I see. So this is like in the vegetable garden as an example. Oh, yeah, yeah great yeah, idea. I garden. mean, yeah, sorry, sorry. it'll... Depending on how much life is in your soil, but based on having spoken with you in the past, I think uh-huh. you probably have a pretty lively soil when it comes to, to biology. So, yeah, why not? They, I mean, all of what you've added is good organic matter. And we um, are always challenged to maintain um, we're trying, in a best-case scenario, to have 5% of our soil made up of organics. So that's that's things like leaves and dead animals and dead fruit and dead anything that was alive that is now dead and will turn to animals. I'm waiting for somebody to tell me how to get rid of the bloody squirrels. <laughs> um, and, and what I did too, Charlie, after, for example, I have, what, maybe, I don't know, 25 by 10 and and uh, so well, after I level it, now I put maybe uh, three bags of um, cow manure and sheep manure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I figure that if I put it now, um, you, you know, it, it goes into the soil. Absolutely, yeah. Well, the manure comes with microorganisms, so bacteria we can't see, and its its job is to chew up organic material. So that's why we love adding um, composted manure because it doesn't smell bad. But again, it's got all that biology. It's got that life and it supports our soil. So yeah, adding it now, adding it in the spring, either works. Main thing is to add it. Okay. So my next thing is I have um, a place that, I mean, my friend anyway, he can get, now listen to this, pig manure. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah. Because I know probably it smells. Uh, I've never done it, and but he does it often. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Because I don't want my neighbors. I've been here 49 years, <laughs> and I don't want to, to find my neighbors. 
Well, the magical word there is composted. So pig manure that's right out of a pig barn is never put directly on a garden. Two reasons. One is it smells, but number two, it's extremely what we call hot. It will burn. Okay. It's pure nitrogen. It will burn anything it comes in contact with, oh, including you. Thank you, Charlie. So okay, you, because I was going to do that. I waited. Believe me, I called last week anyway, but I didn't get to. But anyhow, thanks very much. I appreciate that because I was going to, well, now I put the, the sheep manure anyhow. Thanks, Charlie, okay. very much. I appreciate that. Thanks and for the call, John. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank Bye-bye. you. Okay, so uh, just a, well, uh, one last reminder, of course, uh, we, have, uh, we have Paul in studio next week with us uh, from uh, Urban Nature Stores. He'll be with us, which yes. is a, going to be yeah, a treat. I, I'm looking forward to that, and I know many of you will have some great questions for Paul. So, you know, start writing down your questions because he's always happy to hear from everybody. And he's got so much good information. Like, he just, he's so experienced when it comes to wild birds in the urban environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Dean. Well, thank you. Couldn't have done any of this without you. Safe drive home. Hi to Gail and the family. Will do, yeah. And uh, thanks, Ashley. Couldn't do any of this without you. Great callers make it all worthwhile. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.